Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, May 10th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. Former Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan is arrested. Trump is found guilty of sexually abusing columnist Jean Carroll. Putin draws parallels with World War II during a Victory Day address. Canada and China exchange persona non grata labels for their consuls. At least 13 are killed during Israeli airstrikes on Gaza. A report finds the DOJ was aware of bribery allegations against Joe Biden in 2018. Goldman Sachs settles a gender discrimination lawsuit. LinkedIn announces plans to cut over 700 jobs. A study says a test to detect drowsy drivers may be available in five years. And an experimental Chinese spacecraft returns to Earth after 276 days. In our first story today, Pakistan's ex-Prime Minister Imran Khan is arrested, sparking protests. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Al Jazeera, India Today, CNN, The Times of India, and NPR Online News. On Tuesday, Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who was ousted in April last year and has since campaigned for early elections, was arrested on corruption charges, promoting his supporters to stage massive protests across the country in response. They blocked several roads, including the main Kashmir Highway in and out of the capital Islamabad, with the police using water cannons and tear gas to disperse demonstrators. According to an official from Khan's Pakistan, Tariq-e-Insaf, or the PTI party, a worker for the PTI was killed in Quetta. Khan's supporters also reportedly forced their way into the corps commander's residence of Lahore, stormed the Pakistan Army's general headquarters, in Rawalpindi and set a dummy aircraft on fire outside the Mianwali airbase. A video provided by the PTI shows that Khan was undergoing a biometric process at the Islamabad High Court for a court appearance when paramilitary forces broke open the glass window and detained him. According to his lawyer, Khan was kicked by the rangers on his injured leg and pepper sprayed before being whisked away in a black car to the National Accountability Bureau, or NAB, in Rawalpindi. The arrest of the former premier comes as he doubled down on allegations that a serving senior intelligence officer was leading a plot to assassinate him, despite the military spokesman deeming such claims highly irresponsible and ill-founded. On this program, we separate the spin from the fact. Those were the facts. Let's begin the narrative spins with Narrative A from the Economic Times of India. Imran Khan's arrest is an abduction, an attack on the judiciary, and a slap on Pakistan's democracy. The country's ruling political elite doesn't want the PTI chief back in power in any capacity and will go to any extent to prevent him from proving his legitimacy to fight the upcoming general elections. Here's Narrative B from NDTV. The former prime minister was arrested in a case involving the embezzlement of $239 million. He has often used religion to garner support, manipulate the judiciary to his whims, and exploit the country for his petty political objectives. If his arrest is politically motivated, as he claims, he will have a chance to prove this before the anti-graft court. 
And we often have statistics-based predictions from the Metaculous Prediction community. We call them nerd narratives. And this one says there's a 27% chance that India will conduct a military intervention against Pakistan before the 2024 Indian general elections. I wouldn't expect to be abducted or accosted or however you want to put it while I'm being booked into a legal facility. It does seem a little crazy that you're already in some kind of legal process. But, yeah, I wonder why they chose that time. Yeah, it'd be like like a pizza eating contest breaking out during a pie eating contest. It's just like, guys, (laughs) just, just hold on. Trump is found liable for sexual abuse. Here are the facts as agreed upon by business insider Al Jazeera, Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, and ABC News. After two and a half hours of deliberations, a Manhattan, New York jury found former President Donald Trump liable for sexually abusing and defaming former Elle magazine columnist E. Jean Carroll in 1996. However, they returned a not guilty verdict for rape. Though Trump doesn't face any criminal consequences due to this being a civil case, the jury did award Carroll a collective $5 million in both compensatory and punitive damages. While Carol testified that Trump pushed and assaulted her against the wall of the Bergdorf Goodman dressing room, Trump lawyer Joe Tacopina drew similarities between her story and that of a 2012 Law & Order Special Victims Unit episode. During the trial in which Trump declined to testify, jurors were shown sections of a videotaped deposition from October 2022 in which he consistently denied the allegations. He recently called the process a disgrace and the allegations false. Carol held her head down as the verdict was read, then nodded when she heard the jury finding in favor of her defamation claim after the former president denied attacking her in the fitting room. Trump, who in the wake of the verdict, said he would submit an appeal and posted on Truth Social, I have absolutely no idea who this woman is has been accused of sexual misconduct by about two dozen women, though this was the first to make it to trial. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. We'll start this round of spins with a pro-Trump narrative from The Federalist. Of course, a liberal jury from the blue state of New York would believe that with no witnesses or scene of the crime evidence, Donald Trump forced himself upon a woman in a public department store that typically kept changing rooms locked until an attendant opened it for a customer. After Carol publicly stated this was not rape for years, she saw the golden ticket when presented with a political operative, a.k.a. a lawyer, to sue the billionaire for millions of dollars. And there's a Democratic narrative from Huffington Post. Thanks to New York's new sexual assault survivor law, E. Jean Carroll was finally able to get justice for what the openly misogynistic Trump did to her decades ago. It's true that this is unsurprising. Not because her story lacked credibility, but rather that his only defense was that Carol was not his type. Trump has fumbled his way through this defamation saga for years, and his lies and sins have finally caught up to him. Melissa, it's a little ironic that an SVU plot has been uh, kind of folded into this as a uh, defense for Trump. There was an episode of SVU that was actually canceled in October of 2016, right before Trump ended up winning the election. That was oh, basically really? about a politician, a misogynistic politician, kind of a Trump uh, 
proxy uh, who was going to be played by uh, Bill Lumberg from uh, from Office Space. Oh, and uh, and then I remember at that time I watched SVU pretty much every week, and there was a preview for next week, and it was like Bill Lumberg is Trump basically, and uh, and then the next week no episode came out, and then it just never came out. I think it would kind of uh. got too close to the election. I think also some you know allegations came out around that time, or you know it was it was they decided to to shelve it later yeah. on ice T was interviewed who stars on that show. Right. And he said the episode wasn't any good anyway. You didn't miss anything. It was never released. I think the Comey stuff came out right around that time and they just said, you know, let's not, let's not. Uh, and yeah. then uh, plus it wasn't that good. So there you go. Yeah. Double whammy. That's huh. all the Trump based SVU trivia I have for you. If I could see that episode someday, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> In our next story, Putin draws parallels with World War II during a Victory Day address. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, The Guardian, CNN, and Ukraine Forum. Marking the 1945 defeat of Nazi Germany in World War II in Russia's annual Victory Day parade, Russian President Vladimir Putin on Tuesday attempted to evoke the conflict in connection to the war in Ukraine telling his nation that a real war has been unleashed against Russia by the West's untamed ambitions. Speaking from Moscow's Red Square, Putin said, Today, civilization is once again at a decisive turning point. A real war has been unleashed against our motherland. He added that the West's untamed ambitions, arrogance, and impunity were to blame. Putin thanked Russian soldiers fighting in Ukraine, stating, We are proud of the participants of this special military operation. The future of our people depends on you. He continued, saying, The goal of our enemies, and there is nothing new here, is to achieve the disintegration and destruction of our country. Despite the defiant tone, Putin at times in the speech called for reconciliation with the West. He drew upon the shared experience of fighting the Nazis in World War II, stating, The memory of our defenders of the motherland is sacred in our hearts. The president said Moscow honored members of the resistance who fought Nazis, soldiers of allied armies of the U.S., Britain, and other countries, and that it also remembered and honored the memory of Chinese soldiers in their battle against Japanese militarism. The comments were made at a comparatively scaled-back version of the Victory Day Parade, which saw only one tank on display in Red Square. Previous years' parades have included tens of the vehicles. Notably, the event did not include a fly-past. No explanation was given for its cancellation. Hours before this address, Russia launched a renewed volley of missile attacks into Ukraine, the second night of attacks in as many days. Ukraine's military commander-in-chief, Valery Zaluzhny, said Russia fired 25 missiles, 23 of which were shot down. The two that penetrated reportedly struck the central region of Cherkasky, but there were no reports of civilian casualties. One civilian was reported injured from falling missile debris in the Dnipropetrovsk region. All right, our pro-establishment spin on this long-running story comes from CNN. Putin's Victory Day speech saw him continue to falsely claim that Russia is somehow the victim of this war in Ukraine rather than its initiator. This weak address was a careful attempt to rally support at home for a failing invasion. 
Tass brings us a pro-Russia narrative. Ever since the 2014 Western-backed coup in Ukraine, Western countries have mercilessly proceeded with arrogant and exorbitant plans to bring down Russia by militarizing Kyiv. This strategic aggression is the real cause of the tragic events currently taking place in Ukraine, which are forcing Russia into a defensive position. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. They predict there's a 7% chance there will be more than four deaths between Russia and NATO forces outside of Ukraine before July 1st of 2023. Canada and China escalate their diplomatic row. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, The New York Times, Xinhua, The Wall Street Journal, and Vancouver City News Everywhere. On Tuesday, China escalated diplomatic tensions with Canada by classifying Shanghai-based consul Jennifer Lin Lalonde as a persona non grata, demanding she leaves China by May 13th. This comes as, on Monday, Chinese diplomat Zhao Wei was also declared persona non grata and ordered to leave Canada following reports that he helped to harass and gather information about Canadian conservative lawmaker Michael Chong. Beijing also issued an official statement that characterized Ottawa's diplomatic move as a violation of international laws and norms, and an escalation that could jeopardize PRC-Canada relations. This marks the first time in five years that a foreign representative has been declared unwelcome and expelled from Canada. The right of a receiving state to prompt a member of a diplomatic mission to leave the country at any time without any explanation is under the 1961 UN Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations. The decision to expel the diplomat also comes days after Canada's foreign minister, Melanie Jolie, summoned the Chinese ambassador, Kong Pei Wu, to assert that Ottawa would not tolerate foreign interference, as the Canadian Security Intelligence Service believes that Zhao has targeted Chong. For months, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's liberal government has been criticized for its treatment of claims that the Chinese Communist Party attempted to interfere in the 2021 national elections forcing him to reverse his views on Beijing and vow new measures to curb interference in Canada's Chinese diaspora. Thank you, Scott. We'll start this round of spins with an anti-China narrative from the National Observer. The Canadian government has carefully assessed the options to retaliate against allegations that Chinese diplomats had threatened a minister of parliament. Anticipating potential Chinese backlash and the risks to the safety of the people and the prosperity of the country. The expulsion of Zhao Wei is the right measure to punish Beijing, as it will not prompt harsher consequences for Canada. Some have said Trudeau hasn't gone far enough, but this was a calculated diplomatic move against aggressive PRC meddling. And the pro-China narrative comes from the Global Times. Ottawa has dangerously and recklessly become more confrontational towards Beijing due to domestic political infighting, undermining bilateral relations and promoting fabricated claims to smear China. Beijing has never meddled in the internal affairs of other countries, and its diplomatic and consular personnel have always complied with international conventions and bilateral agreements. Canada must work hard to return to international norms for Beijing to restore its trust. And we have another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community that says there's a 50% chance that The Economist will rank China as a democracy in the Democracy Index by July 2094. I have a small bone to pick with Canada myself I, on a couple of occasions. Oh, do tell. Yeah, on a couple of occasions, I've had breakfast in Canada, like a diner or some such. 
And I can't tell you how small the orange juice was. Like, like, come on. It was so small. It was Man. comical. Like, I didn't even have to say anything. And everyone at the table was like, wow, that's a small orange juice. Like, whatever the smallest juice glass you have, that's what it was. Like, really, really small. Cute. So, yeah. Well, I, I guess yeah, it's that, cute. That's not a huge Until I come down citrus. with scurvy. Yeah, I think uh, that's really yeah. might be what it is. And if you're in Florida, you get a very small amount of maple syrup, probably. That's the right. Way it goes, right. That's know? just tit for tat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least 13 are killed in the latest Israeli air attack on Gaza. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, BBC News, The Guardian, The Times of Israel, and the Associated Press. Palestinian officials reported that Israeli strikes in the Gaza Strip early on Tuesday killed three Palestinian Islamic Jihad, or PIJ, commanders and 10 civilians, including at least four children and five women. PIJ has vowed to retaliate in kind. The strikes hit the top floor of an apartment building in Gaza City and a house in the southern town of Rafah, with the Palestinian Health Ministry saying at least 20 people were wounded. Israel said it also hit military training sites. Russia's representative office in the Palestinian territories announced that Dr. Jamal Kaswan, a Russian citizen and a former chairman of the Gaza Dentist Association, was killed along with his wife and one of their children. Kaswan reportedly lived next to one of the PIJ commanders targeted. Israeli media reported that the attack targeted Jihad Ghanim, Khalil al-Batini, and Tarek Ezzedine, who were reportedly responsible for rocket fire at Israel during this year's Ramadan. Israel has warned its citizens near the embargoed Gaza Strip to prepare for military escalation, and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has announced a security cabinet meeting. Israel called the campaign a defensive and offensive operation, and that fighting could last for a few days, depending on PIG's response. Since pulling out of Gaza in 2005, Israel has fought two major ground wars in the Strip, two air wars lasting at least a week, and dozens of other limited skirmishes. The situation in Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank has steadily deteriorated in the last year, with 105 Palestinians killed by Israeli fire in the West Bank and at least 20 Israelis killed by Palestinian attacks so far in 2023. The most recent conflict with PIJ last summer saw the group lose two top commanders and dozens of fighters. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have a pro-Israel narrative from Jerusalem Post. Unfortunately, it seems that another Gaza war is on the horizon. Israel, which has always restrained itself to avoid unnecessary death, will respond aggressively if Palestinian Islamic Jihad attacks Israeli civilians and cities. Those killed in the recent strikes were high-ranking PIJ terrorists, and their elimination was necessary to ensure Israeli security. And here's the pro-Palestine narrative from Middle East Eye. Yet again, it looks like Israel is preparing for another ruthless war on Gaza as it seeks to engage in conflict by recklessly murdering Palestinians. Israel not only killed PIJ commanders, but their families as well, not to mention an innocent doctor and his family. Emboldened by international silence after killing more Palestinians last year than in any other calendar year since the Second Intifada, 
the occupation is becoming even more violent. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. They say there's a 50% chance that Israel will recognize Palestine by March of 2069. A report claims the DOJ was contacted in 2018 about the alleged Biden-Ukraine bribery. Here are the facts as agreed upon by New York Post, Just the News, the D.C. Inquirer, Daily Mail, Breitbart, and Fox News. Interviews and documents obtained by Just the News reportedly revealed that former federal prosecutor Bud Cummins contacted the U.S. Department of Justice in 2018, claiming he had evidence that Joe Biden had exercised influence to protect Hunter Biden's Ukrainian employer, but then New York U.S. Attorney Jeff Berman ignored Cummins' email. Cummins allegedly told Berman that Ukraine's then-prosecutor general, Yuri Lutsenko, would travel to the U.S. to present evidence about the Bidens and Burisma Holdings, who hired Hunter Biden and his business partner, Devin Archer, to its board in 2014 while Biden was vice president. On October 4, 2018, Cummins emailed Berman alleging evidence that Joe Biden and then-Secretary of State John Kerry were involved in a pay-to-play scheme, adding that there was proof of significant funds being wired from Zlachevsky to Rosemont Seneca Partners, LLC, that directly benefited Biden. Berman and other members of the DOJ reportedly ignored the messages alleging Biden's corruption, instead taking the step of issuing a grand jury subpoena to Apple to secretly collect data from Cummins' iPhone. The whistleblower's information from 2018 comes as House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, looks into separate allegations of a criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Biden. Comer and Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, subpoenaed documents from the FBI, which the agency must provide by Wednesday's deadline. While Republican officials have long been investigating Biden's dealings, his administration has ignored many GOP subpoenas. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, beginning with a Republican narrative from Red State. The explosive revelations show just how corrupt the U.S. justice system is. Bud Cummins and whistleblowers were willing to provide hard evidence about how Biden wielded his influence to make money as vice president, but Jeff Berman didn't even acknowledge these messages. In fact, he even took the step to investigate the whistleblower, retaliation against someone who dared to investigate the rich and powerful. And Newsweek brings us the Democratic narrative. The GOP's investigation, based on wild and unsubstantiated accusations against Biden, is going nowhere. And some Republican lawmakers are even backtracking on their claims. Right-wing media has gone crazy with its conspiracy theories against the president, and Republicans are using their power in the House to politically target the president while they fail the American people. We have another nerd narrative saying there's an 85% chance that Joe Biden will become the Democratic nominee for the 2024 U.S. presidential election. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Goldman Sachs settles a gender discrimination suit. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, The Financial Times, Associated Press, and The New York Post. Goldman Sachs announced Monday it has agreed to pay $215 million to settle a class-action lawsuit alleging widespread bias against women in pay and promotions, pending approval by a New York judge. The class-action lawsuit, representing nearly 3,000 current and former associates and vice presidents, was scheduled to go to trial next month in federal court. 
The class action began in 2010 and spans allegations from 2000 to 2023. The plaintiffs claim that Goldman Sachs maintained company-wide policies that discriminated against women when it came to pay and career advancement, such as managers mostly nominating men to be part of employee appraisals, allegedly creating a culture of favoritism toward male employees. The settlement will also see Goldman Sachs undertake a three-year independent review of its performance and promotion procedures to address alleged gender inequalities as well as an analysis of any potential gender pay gaps at the bank. The case began as an Equal Employment Opportunity Commission complaint brought by Christina Chen Oster in 2005 before more plaintiffs joined the suit in 2010. Jacqueline Arthur, Goldman Sachs head of HR, said the company is proud of its long record of promoting and advancing women and remains committed to ensuring a diverse and inclusive workplace, with women making up 29 percent of its 2022 class of partners and managing directors. Narrative A comes from Fortune. This settlement is a sign that the old boys' club culture in finance is over, and there is a path for victims of gender discrimination to have their grievances heard. Hopefully going forward, there will be better working conditions for women at Goldman Sachs and all Wall Street firms. The Observer brings us Narrative B. Although this settlement is encouraging, it reinforces Wall Street's culture of secrecy, as companies would rather privately arbitrate or settle their cases than have the lurid details of their misdoings brought before a court for the world to see. We might not witness real change until we've seen a landmark trial. And Knowledge at Wharton brings us Narrative C. While any type of discrimination should be stamped out, this settlement isn't an admission of guilt. And despite claims to the contrary, forcing women into executive positions solely to fill a quota actually does more harm than good. Women, like men, should be hired for their experiences and accomplishments rather than their gender. LinkedIn to cut over 700 jobs and close their China app. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Al Jazeera. Citing slower revenue growth and changing customer behavior, LinkedIn announced Monday that it will cut 716 jobs globally, discontinue its professional networking services and product and engineering teams in China, and downsize its sales and marketing functions in the country. The networking platform, owned by Microsoft, said it will also shut down its China job posting app, In Career, by August. That limited version of its main platform, created in 2014, allowed people to search for jobs but not post or share articles like they can on LinkedIn. Though it ended most of its Chinese services in 2021, LinkedIn was the only major Western social media site operating in the country, prompting condemnation for allegedly cooperating with Beijing in blacklisting journalists critical of the government. CEO Ryan Roslansky said the company, with a current workforce of 20,000, will also create 250 new jobs for which employees affected by the cuts in its sales, operations, and support teams would be eligible to apply. The move comes as LinkedIn, which saw year-over-year 8% revenue growth in the three months through March, faced competition from domestic Chinese companies, the three largest of which, 51job.com, Xiaopin, and LiPin.com, held more than 70% of the market share as of 2021. LinkedIn's job cuts are the latest in a series of tech sector layoffs in recent months, totaling 100,000 between Google, Amazon, Meta, Twitter, and Microsoft. 
Thank you for the facts, Scott, and we'll begin these spins with Narrative A from Business Insider. LinkedIn has and continues to prioritize business profitability over the values of free speech. While claiming to support freedom of expression, it censored posts about the Tiananmen Square massacre and hid journalistic posts from its users. The company may have shut down its Chinese app, but that doesn't absolve it from appeasing the CCP for financial gain. And narrative B comes from The Guardian. LinkedIn's decision is the result of multiple factors, including a volatile tech market and increasing regulatory oversight from Beijing. As are all major players in the industry, the company is trying to deal with domestic Chinese competition and the wider global economic downturn to retain jobs and reach users in as many areas as possible. You ever have any success with uh, LinkedIn, getting work or finding a job? I was scouted once from LinkedIn and uh, uh, and I, it threw me off so hard. I was like, wait, how do you know me? How did you find me? And I guess someone had just looked through who might be someone who is good in sales, who doesn't know it yet. Mm. Um, yeah. And I was like, hey, you know, someone of mine from acting or do you know someone? And it, it was a totally random guy. And he ended up being a very nice dude. And he wanted uh, and I got to like the. I want to say like the sixth interview. It was like the very final interview of a uh, a company that sells quit smoking programs to companies, hmm. to employers. So unfortunately, right when you were finally convinced it was legit, that's when you no longer were part of the process. Yeah. He was like, here's what you got to do to sell it to this last guy. Yeah. Cold calls to come, even though it was actually for a really good product, like get yeah. people to stop smoking. Sure. That's fantastic. You know, and he found me because I was an actor and a trainer and thought, okay, that would be a good combination. Um, and I was able to to pull off the acting job until the very last one where it was like, I don't think I could sit at this phone and cold call people all day long. No way. Yeah. That's not me. Yeah. I, some people are really good at that. Some people, I don't know if they like it or not, or they just like being good at something, but that's foreign to me as well. I don't know. I, mean, I guess every job is sitting there and doing something over and over to some degree, but uh, I don't know. It's it's tough. Yeah, yeah. You know, already, you know, I guess you're used to rejection as an actor, but it's not something you like. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, just sales. Yeah, not for me. In a recent study, blood tests will make it easier to prosecute drowsy drivers. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Times, The Daily Mail, Wales Online, Lad Bible, and Metro. Researchers at Melbourne's Monash University have said that biomarker-based blood tests, which could help law enforcement detect whether drivers are sleep-deprived, may be available in five years. Funded by the Australian Government Office of Road Safety, the test to spot drowsy driving could pave the way for laws that would see people prosecuted for driving and causing accidents while fatigued. The researchers have identified five biomarkers in blood that can determine whether someone has been awake for 24 hours or longer, with approximately 90% real-world accuracy. Lead researcher Claire Anderson has stressed that the markers aren't impacted by elevated levels of caffeine, anxiety, or adrenaline, which could be affected if somebody has been involved in a motor vehicle crash, making the process unlikely to record false readings post-collision. 
While the rollout of portable roadside tests could begin in five years, it's expected they could be used on drivers taken to a hospital after a crash in just two years' time. The development comes after recent research was published, suggesting that getting behind the wheel after less than five hours of sleep is as dangerous as being over the legal drink-drive limit. Thanks, Melissa, for those facts. We have a narrative A from the conversation. Driver fatigue is one of the major killers on the road, alongside alcohol and speeding, which is why it's so important to treat drowsy driving in the same way as drink driving to improve road safety and save lives. This state-of-the-art technology could help police identify drowsy drivers and road accidents as well as assist employers in assessing fitness for duty. And here's narrative B from The Guardian. Having an accurate blood test for fatigue could be a valuable tool for law enforcement. However, it wouldn't preclude driver responsibility or prove that a crash was caused by driver fatigue. Moreover, while the key to securing a prosecution would be to agree on a threshold to indicate tiredness or the minimum sleep required to drive safely, more must be done to reduce deaths caused by drowsy driving, rather than simply penalizing drivers. Intrigue in space as a mystery Chinese spacecraft returns to Earth after 276 days. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Sky News, Space News, Al Arabia, Reuters, the South China Morning Post, and the Science Times. On Monday, China's state media reported that an experimental spacecraft had returned to Earth after remaining in orbit for 276 days. The unmanned spacecraft reportedly completed an unprecedented mission to test the country's reusable space technologies. China's state-run news agency reported that the country's latest test of a reusable spacecraft is an important breakthrough in its research into cost-effective and sustainable ways to undertake future space missions. The country's state media also said the spacecraft returned to the Jiquan Launch Center in northwest China on Monday as scheduled. No details were given about the craft's whereabouts or the technologies used and tested after its launch in early August 2022. Beijing has yet to release images of the craft to the public. Experts believe the craft could be equipped with advanced imaging and sensing equipment designed to gather intelligence on potential targets or monitor sensitive areas of interest. Another possible function is the deployment of small satellites or sensors for civilian or military use into orbit. The Chinese space plane is believed to be almost identical to the X-37B spacecraft developed by the U.S. that can carry crews of up to six. The craft is known to be the most capable spacecraft in use because it can change its orbit, a feature the Chinese are known to be actively pursuing. China has recently been developing its space sector with future research into reusable launch vehicles, including a heavy-lift design that could enable the country to land astronauts on the moon, and a rocket that could eventually be used for conducting large-scale space infrastructure missions. Okay, those were the facts on our final story today, and we'll begin the spins with a pro-establishment narrative from the conversation. The U.S. is the leading force in the current space race between the U.S. and China. Experts have pointed to China's rapid advancements in space as evidence of an emerging landscape where China is directly competing with the U.S. for supremacy. In a report published in August 2022, the Pentagon predicted that China is likely to surpass U.S. capabilities in space as early as 2045. However, it is unlikely that the U.S. will remain stagnant because Washington is continuing to increase funding for space exploration. 
and the establishment critical narrative comes from the Global Times. NASA's talk of a space race is ludicrous, as the Chinese space program is not a threat to the U.S. China's exploration of the moon is dedicated to the advancement of humanity. As codified in the United Nations Outer Space Treaty, the moon does not belong to any single country on Earth, not even the U.S. Despite this, public attacks on China's space program have become routine for NASA in recent months because the spurious threat of China's own research makes a convenient justification for NASA's funding requests to Congress. And the nerds have the last word with the nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. There's a 19% chance that China will land the next person on the moon. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) Now, are we supposed to make the connection here with with the spy balloons? Is that what, like, we're kind of like, was that a distraction? Was that we were silly to worry about those balloons? There's a space thing, or is the whole thing have nothing to do with each other? Mm, Good question. I guess that did kind of throw up a flag in my head initially. And then I thought, you know, China's a big place. Maybe these are just different departments. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.